Daily DVR is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com, the men's accessories marketplace. Cufflinks.com aims to drive men to one place where they can find all the accessories they could want to elevate their look each day. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order. No minimum. Whether it's Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Disney, all that great stuff, or the sports stuff, NCAA, NBA, NFL, or, of course, the classic wearable art, the amazing high-quality Hook and Albert Oxen Bull, and, of course, their own Cufflinks.com brand. We encourage you to elevate your look when you get dressed in the morning. It helps to make you feel more confident and create your individual style. Go to Cufflinks.com DVR today. Hello and welcome back to Daily DVR. We got another bracket show for you today. Round one results. You can head on over to Daily DVR Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Daily DVR to take part in the brackets. Once again, of course, I'd like to thank Andy for putting that all together, posting it, doing everything. You're the best, Ando. You can also always head over to DVRpodcast.com to check out all the great podcasts we do. Shows like Mindhunter, Lost, Westworld, Game of Thrones, Watchmen, Veronica Mars, many more. Today, I have two very special guests continuing in my New York Jets podcaster series, which I've invented. It just keeps on growing. I've had their friends Joe and Dalbin from Turn On The Jets. I was a guest uh, with John Butchko on Locked On Jets. And now it's my pleasure to have two more Jets podcasters today. And you know what? I just want to give a little intro because I've been listening to their podcast for I, I, maybe since it started. And one of the great things is um, they are a team that works on the weekends. Not a lot of people release podcasts on the weekends, but these two guys do a Saturday and Sunday two-part jet mailbag. That is awesome. And it's like the only podcast that comes out on the weekend. I always like to drop on the Patreon. I like to drop podcasts on the weekend. But they don't just talk about the Jets. They like to talk about food, pizza specifically. Uh, they also like to talk about life and also TV. So I wanted to give them a chance to just kind of have a free-for-all. We're going to talk about the brackets, talk about what TV they love. So without any further ado, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome the host of the legendary Daily New York Jets podcast, Play Like a Jet, a man who needs no introductions, ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Scott Mason. Hello, Scott. <laughs> Thanks, Axel. By the way, I feel like I made the right choice watching all the Beverly Hills Cop movies as a primer to come on here with somebody named Axel Foley. So thanks for having us on. Looking forward to watching, uh, talking a little bit of TV. Those brackets look really interesting. So many of those shows that I really have loved over the years. Yeah, we're going to talk about them all. And don't worry, when the show is over, I will not put a banana in your tailpipe. Uh, this used to be the joke everyone said. I remember when he does that, he puts a banana. Um, and joining Scott today is his frequent guest and collaborator, the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal. It's Mr. Chris Nimbly. Hello, Chris. Hey, Axel. Thanks for having me on. It's nice. It's nice to hear uh, Scott get the intro for once. That that's uh, that's that's nice. I'm not used to hearing that, so I I, I enjoyed hearing uh, some somebody introduce him. 
Yeah, well, you know, I had to take his great intro, and I think I just want to have you guys on just so I could uh, cop Scott's intro of you because it's so awesome every time he does it. Um, but uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. And to start things off, I wanted to ask you on your last weekend mailbag, you talked a little bit about watching Deadwood, which is on these brackets and is also a favorite of many of our listeners and many people. So I wanted to ask you, have you started watching Deadwood yet? Chris, you started watching it, right? Yeah, I started, I watched maybe four or five episodes. I've had a, a little bit of issue just because of the whole HBO, HBO Max stuff. I was trying to watch a bunch of it down the shore, but uh, they changed it. And then, uh, so HBO Now is now off my uh, iPad. Um, but I watched the first couple episodes. The, the one thing that stood out to me is just immediately that uh, all the famous actors and, and people, I'm like, oh, that guy's yeah. from this show and that guy from this show. Um, and of course, I, you know, having Raylan Gibbons on there uh, is always going to be a good, good thing. So, uh, it, but it hasn't completely grabbed me yet. Sometimes shows take a little bit longer. So uh, I'm going to get into it in the next couple of days and hope I can, it can hook me and then I'll tear through the rest of it. Scott, you haven't had um, a chance yet. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Unfortunately, my internet has not been cooperating lately. So I've had trouble getting streams of the episodes, but as Chris said, there's so many people on the show that we love from other shows and he specifically pointed out timothy oliphant but if you're a justified fan so many of the actors that were in justified were also in deadwood and it's one of those shows that i've been meaning to watch for a really long time i think i mentioned this on the mailbag but there are shows like this periodically where people will tell me you got to see it you got to see you got to see it and then eventually i crack and dive into it that happened with me last summer with the shield i've had people tell me forever you gotta watch the shield you gotta watch shield i finally did and i really really liked it so i'm looking forward to jumping into deadwood but i haven't had a chance yet unfortunately my internet has not been helping me out but i'm really hoping that over the next couple of weeks i can get it all done yeah deadwood is wow um i can see where you're coming from chris with it taking you it's some deadwood I mean, you know, it's been called Shakespeare with cursing. And what I found is I think I started rewatching those episodes immediately after I watched them the first time, almost from the beginning. Like, I don't know that I ever binged Deadwood, even though I think that I don't think I had HBO when the second season was on. So I think I ended up catching up on that but still i would watch one episode then i would chill or i would just turn around and re-watch it because the monologues are so intense and you think sometimes that they're just um like they're just a character piece like okay swearing is going to do another five minute monologue and you think he's really just kind of giving you a little character beat Um, a little flavor, a little feeling. But then when you watch it the second time, you realize that it's really a lot about plot. So it's kind of disconcerting. It takes you a little while to kind of get into it. 
So even yeah. like Scott, when you do start watching it, I would say it's kind of, that's why when you all said you're going to try to binge it, I was like, oh, yeah. that's weird. Cause that's, that may be one of the best examples of a show that I just don't think works for binge watching and streaming mm-hmm. multiple episodes because the dialogue is so thick. I can see that. Yeah. Cause, cause that's, I, I do that. Uh, like you said about just rewatching shows normally, you know, game of Thrones, the wire lost. I would, the se- I'd watch the season as it aired. And then before the new season came out, I'd watch it all, all over again. Yeah. Um, I like to binge shows now though, when I can. And, uh, I but I I can see how Deadwood would be much more enjoyable just watching one in, oh, episode at a time because I try I watched the first couple episodes without much of a problem but then I was get I was kind of checking out on some of those uh, the, the long dialogue yeah. stuff because I was like I want something to happen yes I'm and binging, that, like give me something dude that's the thing is that deadwood lulls you it almost fucking beats you into submission honestly because milch is a master i mean you know nypd blue he's done just so so much shit that he's done has been amazing some of it you know john from cincinnati maybe it didn't work so well but um it just like that beats you until by by the time you're into the flavor of deadwood when you go and like talk to a friend, they're talking and you're like analyzing what they're saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the the talking is the action and it's kind of hard. You Scott, you brought up the shield, which I think is the exact opposite and I think is made for binging mm-hmm. because it's just propulsive. Like once the episode ends, they usually pick up like minutes after the last frame of the yeah. episode before. Yeah, definitely. And by the way, uh, since you brought it up, can we talk about John from Cincinnati for a quick second? <laughs> I always felt Milch lost a bet. Like somebody said to him, I bet that you can't take literally any concept and make it into a watchable television show. And he said, I'll take that bet and try John from Cincinnati. And it failed miserably. I watched every episode and I still have no idea what the heck was going on yeah. on that show. Me too, but I also I did too, and I remember it fondly. I still thought that it was he just man he is an uh, you know he he's an unparalleled talent. The guy just has he is purely his creativity. Like when he like you're saying when he challenges himself to do something, he goes all in. Sometimes to the point of too much. I mean, like, weren't they killing horses and that of in luck, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they got a glue business on the side of uh, making the TV show. But um, all right, well, I just wanted to get into a little Deadwood with the both of you first because I thought that was a great choice. But I do think I would suggest that's a hard one. That's a hard binge, um, but maybe yeah, we'll find sense. another show too, and more shows that we have in these brackets. So let's first let's start out with we're in the we're basically in the second round now. We've done the voting. The first bracket we had was the Battle of the Bastards action drama classic, some of which we've already mentioned. First, we had Game of Thrones going against Spartacus. Game of Thrones easily 
defeated Spartacus in this. Have either of you watched Spartacus? I've seen a couple episodes, but that's it. Uh, this, this girl I was with uh, a, a few years back watched it, so I watched a couple episodes, but that was it. I haven't seen either one of those shows, believe it or not. Oh, I sh- okay, I saw an episode of Game of Thrones, and it just wasn't really my thing. And it's not that I'm anti-Game of Thrones. It's just not really in my wheelhouse, so I never watched it again. But I never saw Spartacus at all. Interesting. Real. So the all right. Scott has never seen Game of Thrones. Now, are you not a fantasy guy like Lord of the Rings fantasy stuff? Are you into any of that? Yeah, that's the problem. I'm yeah. not really into any of that stuff at all. So it's not really my thing. And I know that a lot of people love it. So I don't want it to come off like I'm disparaging it or anything because I'm not. It's just not really in my wheelhouse. Yeah. No. Here's the thing about that, though, that I always say, because it is not in my wheelhouse at all on multiple levels because uh, I like some fantasy adjacent stuff, but fan- the Lord of the Rings never grabbed me. Also, medieval stuff like. And I think that's part of what I have trouble with Deadwood too. period type pieces. I always, I have a hard time getting invested in that, but game of Thrones is like everything. The political drama, the, the humor in it, the writing is just so well done that it transcends any of the medieval fantasy stuff there is. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say, Chris, because Scott, I know that you love the wire. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that one of the things about Game of Thrones, and actually we had talked a little bit about the last season of Game of Thrones and the react internet reactions and stuff like that. And Chris, you had said that you actually liked it like we did. Yeah. But this is why I love listening to you guys talk about TV, because I thought that your point of view is exactly what I had, which is, yeah, it was different from other seasons and they rushed it and blah, blah, blah. But still, when you sat back and watched it, it was crazy good. Like there was action, adventure, romance. It was, you know, it was high drama. It was really enjoyable, great production. But it was less, um, it was actually a lot less fantasy than the books were. And the series itself, if you watch even the whole first season, Scott, if I remember correctly, there's... Four instances of actual like fantasy elements that are in the first season. Now, later seasons, it gets more, but they really slowly uh, kind of brought it in. So if you're ever looking for something to watch, you might you might surprise yourself because the political wire aspect and like the social (coughs) politics of it are something that you might be interested in. Yeah, I may have to give it a, a second look. I remember watching one episode and just it wasn't anything that I typically like. And again, because Game of Thrones, people love it so much, they get personally offended. I found this with Harry Potter, too, by the way. <laughs> and when people would say to me, oh, you've never seen Harry Potter? I'm like, no, nah, I don't read it. Never read the books. Never seen. the. It's just not my. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm not disparaging it. I'm just I personally. So I just have to make that clear with Game of Thrones, too. But, yeah, maybe I'll take a a second look at it. But uh, when I did watch it the one time, it just didn't really, you know, wasn't my thing. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. 
We have Game of Thrones is going up against Homeland, which took out Mr. Robot. Uh, Chris, have you seen Homeland or Mr. Robot? I saw the first season of Mr. Robot. Uh, I was playing. I really enjoyed the first season and I was planning on watching the rest. Uh, but then I had an, enough people tell me not to bother that I did. I stopped after that. Uh, Homeland, I really enjoyed the first season and I stuck with it a little bit longer and I wish I didn't. So, uh, I've seen the first season of both of them. I've seen probably, I think I, I stopped halfway into the third of Homeland. Okay. Okay. How about you, Scott? My experience at Homeland was sort of similar to Chris's. I really liked the first season and then it just became the carrie and brody show and then everything became about carrie and her romances and i just lost interest it got too weird for me and everything became super implausible as far as mr robot i watched the first couple of seasons then i sort of lost interest because it got really weird but then people were telling me that the last season was good so i jumped in and watched the final season and i thought the finale was actually really good. I thought it was well done. So I thought it was one of those shows where it kind of got weird and lost some steam in the middle, but it picked up at the end and it, and it closed strong. So uh, I liked what I saw of Mr. Robot. And then uh, with Homeland, I liked it at first. And after that, it kind of went down the tubes for me. This stuff with Rupert Friend, where he was like hesitating to kill anybody because. Yeah. He was falling in love with Carrie. I was like, what is this nonsense? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, Homeland is ridiculous, man. Though I loved every minute of it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I, I mean, like, listen, I, I think that we need more awareness of mental health in our country. But this show yes. does such a disservice to people with mental oh, health issues. Like, it's yeah. like the worst. It's like, first of all, her job is just like, you're crazy. Okay, we want you back in the field to right. <laughs> protect yeah. the president. <laughs> like, we've got, you yeah. know, everybody, it's just, it's, it was insane. And yeah, Mr. Robot. Uh, I di- I never finished it. I got I still have like a, a bit of the final season. Um, I felt it became a little convoluted and they did something good in the first episode of the final season. They kind of eliminated a storyline, which I don't want to spoil anyone. But Scott, I think you know what I'm talking about, which I thought mm-hmm. during the entire run of the show made no sense. It didn't really connect to anything. I felt they were just trying to write someone into the show that they enjoyed working with or that they, it just didn't work at all. So I was kind of happy that I think we all Homeland was just a more enjoyable experience, even though Mr. Robot is probably a little bit of a, a better show. Now the next one I'm interested to find out. I don't know if I've heard you guys talk a lot about sons of anarchy. Have you, did you watch sons of anarchy? I have. Scott hasn't, okay. I, I believe, right? Right, Scott, you haven't seen it? That's another one that's on my list. Yeah. Uh, I I love Sons of Anarchy. I've watched, I watched the whole thing twice. Uh, uh, I was late to Sons of Anarchy, so I binged the first four or five seasons. And, you know, that is a show that you want to binge. Yes. Because yep. that is just 
the the one thing about Sons of Anarchy, and like I know a, a ton of people complained about the the last couple of seasons, but there's just he, they built uh, it up so much just by one crazy thing piling on top of another crazy thing, and it's just like. It, most shows you go like four or five episodes and then you get some type of twist. You, Son of the Anarchy, you get like 12 twists in an episode. It's ridiculous. And, I loved it. Yeah. And it's and it's so much fun when it's ramping up. But it, it ramps up to a point where it's impossible to land with a smooth landing. There's going to be a bloody crash and it's going to end up in just an absolute absolute mess but the the ride up is so much fun um so i i watched that i watched that whole uh show twice yeah sons event and you know both of these shows are from uh jersey boy kurt sutter well he didn't create sons of i mean uh the shield but he would that's where he came up on the shield and married to piggy Bundy, by the way. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that's why she stars in Sons of Anarchy. She's amazing in it. Like yeah. that was, you know, like obviously, you know, from Married with Children. Um, and then she had that little small part in Lost, but like I never saw her in anything else. And I was just like, oh my God, she is amazing. Yeah. That uh man, I there's a scene with her in Sons of Anarchy that remains to me the most shocking scene I've ever seen in television history. And I've seen a lot of violent, these kind of shows and man, it was great. That's one Scott. You know what? I don't think I'd ever push you to watch game of Thrones. If that's not your thing, I'd never be like, you should watch it. But sons of anarchy. Cause I know you love the shield. You will yeah. love like sons of anarchy takes basically if you start at the heightened, uh, the heightenedness or like the just basically uh paranoia of the final season of the shield. If that's where you start, that's sons of anarchy. And then it just goes even higher from there. Um, but it's, it's absolutely amazing. This was a tough one. So if you had to pick Chris, what would you do? The shield or sons of anarchy? I do sons of anarchy. Wow. Uh, okay. Hands down. And to, to me, the, the, the thing is they're both really good shows, but Sons of Anarchy was just a more enjoyable and more fun ride for me. Like it was I didn't enjoy uh the shield as much, like as much as like I enjoyed it, but I it wasn't as much fun. I was like kind of like like not feeling great about so much stuff that I was watching, and there's plenty of that in Sons of Anarchy, obviously, don't get me wrong. Uh, but there's so many more fun moments throughout it that it just carried me. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I love the shield, but there were two scenes in that show that disturbed me. And Kurt I don't Sutter, get what'd you say? Kurt Sutter is a disturbing individual. Yes. Yeah, that's certainly true, but I, I don't get disturbed by scenes in movies and TV shows very often, but there were two for anybody that hasn't seen the show. I won't say what they are, but if you have, you probably know the only thing I'll say is one of the scenes involves a cat and it just disturbed me to no end. I can't even explain. And I guess in a way it sort of shows you how desensitized we are to violence on TV, I guess, yeah. because I'll watch like 12 dudes get shot in the face and then I see something happen to a cat and I'm like completely freaked out by it. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yeah. No, that's that's definitely true but yeah there's there's those disturbing scenes in sons of anarchy uh alex axel brought up one uh that i'll just say i'll just say the opie scene uh for like there's there's a bunch of others too like it there's Kurt Sutter is very good at what he does, but man, his, there's something disturbing stuff right along on that brain of his. Yes, and plenty of machine gun fights in the middle of a street of a small California town. Charming, <laughs> like that's that's also yeah, like, I, Scott. I, you're talking about people getting shot up and, and like uh, I'll tell you. Sons of Anarchy, they'll just be like in the middle of the episode, hey, where are those guys? Let's go get them. And then they'll get in a machine gun fight in the middle of like this quiet California town. And then the next day, everything's back to normal. <laughs> I, I got to agree with Axel too here because, uh, Scott, you you will love Sons of Anarchy. Like, I think you would really enjoy Game of Thrones if you could get far enough along to do it. But I don't know that you would uh, yeah. would do that. Sons of Anarchy, you will definitely love. Yeah, it's it's a great one. Well, we have in that matchup on our page, The Shield beat out Sons of Anarchy. Um, I got to go with The Shield, too, even though my heart, oh, riding through this world, I just I have to sing it when, when I talk about Sons of Anarchy. I love it. And even though Kurt Sutter blocked me on Twitter, we were in the same <laughs> dorm at oh, Rutgers. Oh, oh, wait a second. Yeah. Why? I I can't even remember why I think because you know what I I used to be very active on Twitter and I would be very snarky and kind of do say inside shit and a lot of people got it so I would have some people following me and I'd get engaged in conversations Kurt Sutter for a little while I would go back and forth with him I'd say something he'd hit me back and then I said something and he fucking blocked me I I think I said something about uh what 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 something happened on the show or maybe it was like um i may have made a comment about that the shows were running too long because that was something that happened in the final season like every episode was like two hours long yeah and uh maybe he was sensitive about it but he fucking blocked me man (laughs) that's funny uh that you know that's unfortunately you get a lot of that on twitter and (laughs) weird because these guys that are millionaires and super successful in their field and you would think that they would have better things to do they go around picking fights with people on twitter and then blocking them it's just bizarre behavior to me we were talking about this before we started recording because this is going on right now with jamal adams on the jets but if i was a famous person and had all this money and needed to promote things i would just pay some kid a grand a week to handle all my social yeah. media and that'll be the end of it i don't know why these guys even get so upset about this stuff it's very weird it sucks everybody in it's an it's in a way it's an equalizer you know um but i we you know we want to kind of hold people up you see it's just like people said they're just like you and me the stars are just like us, <laughs> but uh, we uh, we have the shield going against. I and I don't know if I've heard you guys talk about this show uh, on, on the podcast. Twenty four. Are either of you twenty four fans? I I loved it when it was on. I I watched it obs- uh, you know obsessively when it was on. I haven't gone back to it or anything like that, but I I definitely enjoyed it a lot when it was on. That's another one that. 
I've been meaning to watch for years. And I had one friend that it was his favorite show. And he even loaned me his DVDs at one point when that was still something that you did. <laughs> but I never, <laughs> I never got around to watching that. So that's another one I'm going to have to put on my list because I know that a lot of people that I'm friends with and even family members have talked very highly of it. That's a bit, and that is definitely a binge one. These are all, you know, 24, The Shield, these kind of um, prison break. It reminds me of prison break. We didn't have that in any of the brackets here. That kind of, the later seasons kind of want, want, but I was a huge fan of the first season of prison break. Me too. These kind of like, yeah, masculine action shows. My wife loves them too. That was a great show. But um, what would you pick? Between um, uh, what do we have? Uh, I closed it. I should open it back up. We had uh, action drama. The Shield versus Twenty Four. Chris, what's your pick? I I'm gonna go with. I think that uh, Shield is like a better uh, show, especially once the last couple seasons of Twenty Four kind of turned into like a a law and order thing where it was just so predictable, all the beats. Um, But, but I, especially those first few seasons, I, again, I I think I enjoyed 24 in the moment more than shield. Hmm. Okay. You're not as big. You're not as big a shield. Scott, what are your feelings on Chris's feelings on the shield losing out all the time? (laughs) I, I really liked the shield a lot. Like I said, there were a couple of things that disturbed me, but I thought that the show overall was really good. It was funny because I remember saying to a friend of mine that the only character on that show that I really sympathized with all the time was Claudette. She seemed to me to be the only character where I would watch and generally I was like, yeah, I'm with her. So many of the characters on that show were just bad in so many different ways. I guess Dutch tried to be good but then sometimes you know he was a little uh, of a bit of an oddball but claudette was the one that i always thought was like the conscience of the show it was weird in that way and i think the sopranos were was like that nip tuck where you had this new genre of a show that had the bad guys as the good guys if that makes any sense so the Mm -hmm. shows were centered around the bad guys and that that hadn't really been done until the late 90s i guess i remember axel i don't know if you remember the show profit it starred yeah. adrian you remember it yep. okay that show i thought was brilliant but it was before its time because it was in the early 90s and the show was centered around a sociopathic evil murderer the show was great but people couldn't get into it because they couldn't find it in them to sort of root for this bad guy and then these other shows like the shield and the sopranos and nip tuck and some of these other darker shows came around and and you had more you know guys that were in these shows that that were bad but people found a way to root for them like vic Mackey is one of the worst human beings you could ever imagine as a character on one of these television shows but I'm sure there were a ton of people that watched the shield that were rooting for him anyway. So it was kind of, it was kind of weird, but yeah, the, the shield, I, I don't, I, I, I think part of it too, is that Chris probably got to a point where the subject 
matter was a little too, um, how do I put this? Uh, it probably, uh, he didn't love it so much, I guess is the best best way is that, is that fair to say chris <laughs> that's fair to say but it's more your first point is actually exactly the thing and you and everybody you know, was bad that yeah you i it's one thing to be a bad person like jackson sounds like anarchy is not a good dude uh like there's moments where where he does some good stuff but overall he's not a good dude but he's likable still and he has and potential he has, like, right. you see glimmers of, but you're right. There's Vic, Vic, no, he is a sadistic motherfucker. There's no yeah. changing him. And there's, you. There, if we go through all the shows that I like, I either like, but don't like as much as many other people, it's, this is the common theme in it. And like, I say this a lot about Breaking Bad all the time. Breaking Bad is a really good show. I do not have it anywhere near my top, like, like so many other people. And the large part of that is I just hate everybody in it. Like I, all the characters, <laughs> there's nobody for me to root for. Like right. I want to like Jesse for a little bit. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I can't like you anymore either. So like it, I hated everybody in it. And so I, I need to have somebody that I can at least kind of root for. Mm, that's I, I, you know what? I think that, as Scott points out, this rise of the anti-hero, which took place around the time you described Sopranos, The Shield, shows like that, some some earlier shows as well, that attempted to do that, or just basically attempted sometimes to just show that there was no hero. Like, it didn't have to be an anti-hero, but just nobody was the hero. People were just people, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of, I see your point, Chris, even though that is the popular thing and, and we do look upon this as like the golden age of TV. When I do think about a show like Lost or The Leftovers, and I think about shows where they have characters that I grow to love, um, yeah. even on, like you're saying, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, every they were bikers and everything, but not all of them were murderers. Not all there were certain people that would be around that were like kind of showing them a way to be different. But in yeah. the shield, they it's just like outright debauchery. It is hard to like a lot of people besides Claudette. Um and I think that uh maybe that was why Sons of Anarchy he tried to have a little bit more comedy in it. Uh yeah. it's a little lighter. Um and there's a love story at its heart, which yeah. really in the shield there's not. You know, like the relationships the are auxiliary. Between Vic and himself. Yes. Vic loves himself. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and power, right? <laughs> Power and dominance. Um, that's a great point. But I, I think your point, you know, it holds true. And I think as time goes on, and now that we have so many awesome streaming services and so many shows coming that are so great, I think people will look back and see like, you know, Mad Men, all this, like, we were as a society so interested in looking at like the evil in, that men do and specifically white dudes. You know, and I think even like The Wire, that's why that's such a brilliant show is there is a, so much love in that show. You know, it's full of love. And even though the characters have faults, 
they always went out of their way to kind of showcase their humanity above all else. Yes, exactly. And that's why, like, you know, I can watch The Shield and I can enjoy it for what it is, but it's just, I, I'm not going to enjoy it at that same level as somebody that, uh, a show where I actually care about some of the characters. And then, like, especially when you're talking about a show that goes multiple seasons, um, you know, like, and Lost is a good example. I, everybody hated Sawyer at first. And then to be able to watch the the character development from him, and then all of a sudden, you one day I'm like, oh my god, Sawyer's kind of cool. I, I kind of like Sawyer now. What happened? Like, I uh, shows that can do things like that are always going to get uh, an extra edge, and for me, uh, I just enjoy that more. Uh, so, you, uh, show them doing awful stuff. People do awful stuff. I'm cool with it, but there needs to be some type of humanity in there where I can feel a connection point with some character somewhere along the way. Yeah. Otherwise I'm going to be, I'm going to appreciate the writing that, the, you know, the twist, but it's not going to grab me the same. Yeah. I think they tried to do that with Lem a little bit where he was supposed to be the closest mm. thing to a character on the strike team, but he still kind of fell short because oh. he kind of felt like the guy that was dragged along by his buddies into stuff. And, he was always the one that was sort of trying to talk like, Hey, maybe this is a little much, but at the end of the day, he still went along most of the time and he still took part in so many awful things that it was, even if you thought he was the best of a bad bunch, he was still not good. So that, yeah. that was the, the tough part with that. So I know what you mean. And even in Sopranos, it's kind of weird because obviously Tony Soprano was a, a horrendous, person because of all the stuff that he was involved in but at the same time he also loved his family and he had some warm moments with friends and it was they showed you that side of him you didn't see that so much with guys like Vic and with uh, I'm drawing a blank even right now with uh, um, Walton Goggins character's name I don't know why I can't think of it right now but his character really see much in terms of warmth and Acevedo, same thing. He was just a craven. Acevedo. So he was, there were not very many sympathetic characters, even of the guys that you thought you, you know, like, like I said, lamb was supposed to be sort of like the least bad, but even least bad is still bad. If yeah. That makes sense. I, I ended up feeling like, he was maybe the worst because he had the conscience to know what they were doing was so horrible. That's fair. You know what I mean? Like I felt like Vic just, he was a monster. There was, it was in his DNA, you know, there was no, it was almost like the show was making a case of nature over nurture with him. Um, and then, you know, you kind of oppose, put that into the, like, juxtapose that with being the police and how what that has to say and that's what i found fascinating and i absolutely love the shield and i really think that the shield is kind of the forebear of all these kind of shows even more so than the sopranos was um for sure sopranos is another case that's a hard show for me you know i mean i'm a jersey guy i grew up uh in uh union county and i had my fair share my history my dad 
grew up with a lot of mafioso guys. The Sopranos hits very... I actually wrote for the Star Ledger for a, a certain period of time for two stints, actually, with the Star Ledger. Um, so uh, that's a close to home, but that's the ultimate question of the Sopranos, right? Like, of all the shows that pose that anti-hero, but with lovability, The Sopranos is the one that really kind of got that perfect. Because like you said, yeah. there was so much about Tony that I watch, and I'm like, God, I love that. It's just like so many dudes I grew up in Jersey with, you know? It. I yeah. mean, I think when you're from the area, The Sopranos is also something very special to you. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I grew up in North Jersey since I'm, I moved there when I was in fourth grade. I've I've been around here, and then also with the Sopranos, I it was just when I was going to college is when it was coming out, and I spent two years up in Massachusetts. So I would be watching it up there, and if you like a little yeah. bit of Jersey, was still with me. Yeah. So like there was so much of it that if I didn't have that connection, I might have felt differently about. But because of those connections and just my familiarity with everything going on in it, um, that Tony, like Tony was more likable to me than he probably was to most people. Um, even though I, there was plenty of unlikable things about him and it wasn't uh, oh, concrete or anything. He's a sociopath. But, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, well, I, that was I, the thing. As long as you could stop yourself from thinking about, what he actually did. Yeah. You were like, oh, this guy seems like the kind of guy <laughs> hanging out with and watch this game, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, me and Tony were hanging out some order, or, you know, order some guy to get his toes blown off or whatever it is he was doing. And I guess it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Axel, where with the Sopranos, you had those warm moments and it wasn't all about Tony being a violent, evil sociopath. You saw the family side of him and how he was warm with some of his friends and he would go out of his way for the people that were close to him and all that. But then of course you would see the other stuff with the shield. It wasn't like that. You just, even at home with his wife, Vic was a monster. He's yeah. a monster with everything. <laughs> and so really with the entire strike team. Right. And yeah. Acevedo was a craven opportunist and pretty much everybody involved who was any kind of, you know, major character was super flawed and, and not really somebody that you could get behind except for, as we said, Claudette. So it, it was just, it was frustrating, but it was a great show. And and it's weird because we don't talk about it. And I don't think it was on your brackets, but like Nip Tuck, which also was a Sean Ryan show, who's the creator of the shield. There was elements of that too, even though it was a lot different, but the character of, um, uh, the the Christian Troy character was really in a lot of ways uh, just an awful sociopathic narcissist too, but there were people on the show that you could sort of root for a yeah. little bit, and that show got super ridiculous with the Carver and some of these other weird plot lines that it had, but at the same time, it also was one of the first shows that had a main character that was just a really bad person. Yeah. And if you looked at even what like, Christian did to, um, I'm trying to remember what her, what her, uh, Kimber, what he did to her, like the emotional, 
like abuse space. Oh, you're br- I Twitter. haven't talked about Nip Tuck and for that. I love Nip Tuck and I watched that whole thing from beginning to end. And I hardly, that was another forebearer of, uh, of streaming TV. And you're, you're absolutely right. That was, that was a deep show, you know, because so much of it was about the outer versus the inner. And they yeah. always had, especially that moral compass of their secretary who later became, uh, or nurse. She was, didn't she go from like secretary to nurse to doctor on the show yeah, with them? She was like a partner in the business. Yeah. She something. became a part. Yeah. yeah. She was always, she's a great actress too. Um, yes. that's a good point, man. That's a good point. I got to tell you guys my Tony Soprano story. Uh, while we're talking about The Sopranos, my James Gandolfini story. So I used to work at this place called World of Video in Manhattan. It was, in my opinion, the best video store in Manhattan. And uh, uh, right in the village there, um, now I'm forgetting uh, what street it was on, Greenwich Avenue. And Gandolfini was a member there. We had all, Tarantino was a member, Scorsese, Harvey Keitel, everybody, Parker Post, every New York actor or director. Spike Lee was not. Uh, he may have been, but I never saw him. But they all came in there, and I would get a chance to talk to them, sometimes shoot the shit, most often just help them get a movie. Because I was trying, because, you know, it's New York, you know, you're trying to do your job. But Gandolfini, out of all those people, and we and and one time we had Tarantino come in with Sofia Coppola on a date, wow. and there was like paparazzi in front of the play, and we were all like, "Oh, these fucking camera people!" And he was he hung out with us for like an hour. It was great, but let me tell you, the one person that nobody talked to except for my man Sean, who I've had on this show before, um, would ta- always talk. Didn't wasn't intimidated, but he was exactly like. Tony Soprano, the breathing, the, the, the energy, when he walked into a place, everybody stopped. It was like Darth fucking Vader walked into the store and other people too, who were, you know, we had artists and business people, whatever he would come in and he would ride on a motorcycle with his son. And his son was like about eight, nine years old at the time. And who's going to actually play him in the uh, prequel that Chase is doing, the uh, Saints of uh, Nork, I think it's called. Um, And uh, when he would come into the store, he'd open the door, get off the motorcycle. Everybody be like, who's that huge fucking dude on a motorcycle? He'd come in and and the whole place would just go quiet. And then all you'd hear for the whole time is just like, Hey, you got that movie. And it was like the most startling thing, man. So that presence and energy that he had on screen was like there in person too. He was an amazing dude. That's awesome. That's my Tony Soprano story. Wish I would have met Anolfini. We've had enough Jets games. You'd have thought I'd run into him at some point, right? He was a very cool dude, man. He used to, I mean, I talked to him a bunch of times. Hey, what do you think of this movie here? You know, uh, do you think my son would like this? And I would say, yeah, you know, it's about, I don't know, what is he? And then I talked to his son, but he was a cool dude, but he was very intimidating, man. Like I was a little, I mean, I know obviously he's an actor, but he just was 
perfect casting for that. And he had that kind of humanity too, where he would just, you know how in the show he'd be saying something really mean and then he'd just look and like do a little smile in the corner of his mouth, right? And like one eye would kind of go up. He would do that. He did that to me and I was like, oh my God. It's like, <laughs> is, am I going to get whacked or some shit? <laughs> What's going on here? You know what, uh, you know what struck me about Gandolfini when you would hear him in interviews? It, it, like, so you'd watch him on The Sopranos and he'd be like, eh, you know, uh, and then you'd watch him in an interview and be like, well, I was walking down the street. You're like, what? That, he, that doesn't sound like Tony Soprano. Yeah. Oh, he was a classically trained actor. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he could change. I mean, he was, he could change, but I say though, that's true, but he might've been putting on a little airs. Cause when he, when I talked to him in real life, he sounded like he came from Jersey. I mean, okay. he did. He grew up in Jersey. My dad knew him. My dad used to run a place called the manor in East orange. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. They do a lot of big weddings out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, he used to come hang out. He used to have a big red afro when he was a kid. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to picture Tony Soprano with a red afro. I, I don't think he would have made it. Look it up. I don't think he would have made it. Boss. Yeah, it's crazy. You could see, you know, some people lose it when they, you know, they lose their hair, their hair changes color. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he was a Jersey boy. Um, this is a Jersey podcast here. All right, let's keep it moving. I could keep on talking about Tony Soprano. Then I'll start talking about the star ledger or what is it called now? New Jersey advanced media. Yes. Yeah. Sounds a lot better than the star ledger, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. My poor star ledger. I used to go drive into, I go to the uh, big building in Newark that was fun, man. That was an amazing time being on that uh, news floor. That was cool. All right, but let's move on. Um, we've been talking a long time. Why don't we end with some comedies, some classic comedies? Um, I think you guys have probably seen most of these. Our first, uh, the winner of this matchup was obviously Seinfeld, but our first matchup was Seinfeld versus Portlandia. What, what are your feelings on these two, Scott? I've never seen Portlandia, but I have a lot of trouble believing that it could be better than Seinfeld. I have, and I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Portlandia either, but uh, I, I, Seinfeld is probably going to win most. Most There's only a couple uh, other comedies I'm going to put over Seinfeld, so that that's going to be easy. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is because there's a lot of great ones in this bracket, but right off the bat, I mean, for me, Seinfeld's number one. Is Seinfeld number one for you guys? As far as greatest comedy ever? Yes, I would say sitcom, you know, 30-minute network maybe even i would even throw in streaming but i think like sitcom i would say seinfeld is the best ever and i have to sit down and really think about this but i wouldn't fight you if you said that seinfeld was the greatest sitcom of all time i mean the one thing that always strikes me about seinfeld is i go back now and you get bored when you're sitting around doing something or you're in the middle of Sometimes I'm writing something or I'm working on something and I'll just put the TV on in the background and 
you watch a show like Friends and you think to yourself, man, why was this show so popular? It didn't age well at all. It's just like, ah, this show's such a nothing show. And there are a lot of shows like that, a lot of sitcoms where you rewatch it and you're like, why? Why was this such a huge hit? Seinfeld's one of those shows that no matter how many times you watch it, it's still great. It's held up perfectly. I think so. If you're going to put it up there as one of the great sitcoms of all time, no question. Number one certainly could make a case. I'd have to really sit down and, and, and make a list, but I would have no arguments if you came to me and said that it was number one. What do you think, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to fight anybody too much that, that has Seinfeld up there. Like uh, I, I understand it. I, I respect it. Um, for me, the, my favorite is it's no contest. It's parks and recreation. Um, parks and rec. Uh, it, there's like, I can sit here and argue about a bunch of other spots, two and three, but there's, there's no contest for me. It's parks and rec. Uh, I, I always said Parks and Rec was like a live action version of The Simpsons. Um, and the town of Pawnee was uh, the uh, the town of Springfield, all the reoccurring characters around there. And I just uh, I, I could watch it over and over and over again. Um, so that's easy. But Seinfeld is, is probably I feel comfortable saying it's a top three show for me. Yeah, but there, there's a lot of competition there. Chris, when I say bring me all the bacon and eggs that you have, <laughs> I mean all the, bacon. all the bacon and eggs that you Treat have. Treat yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, there's just, I, I, I could literally spend three hours just doing uh, catchphrases from Parks and Recreation right now. I, I could just do it. Um, and I that I've been accused of being a little like Ron Swanson, maybe by Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I a compliment. I, I right before the pandemic started, I went back and I rewatched it all. And the pandemic started, and I was like searching for things to watch. And I was like, man, I really wish I didn't just watch Parks and Rec again. And I was like. Ah, who cares? I'm watching it again. Like it didn't. Ma- it doesn't matter. I will watch it at any time. Yeah, Parks and I, Rec. I, 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 oh, go ahead, Scott. I was just gonna say I was randomly watching uh, one episode. I, I think it was in the early going. Chris, you would know better than I would when the the delegation from yes, uh, the U- the U- what, what country it was? Was it Libya or something? Uh, was there? Oh, uh, oh, yeah. There's. Uh, I can't remember, yeah. but it was hilarious because at first they like hand Aziz Ansari's character, like they're like, go get me whatever. And he's like super offended, but then they give him this huge tip. Oh. So then the rest of the time they're there, Aziz Ansari's <laughs> like, can I get you anything? You want me to go to CVS? Yeah. And we could go to IHOP. What do you want me to do? You want me to go? I can get the small, freshly squeezed up. You want me to go to the blender and make you freshly squeezed orange juice? So, and then Ron Swanson uh, in the park with the, I have a permit. Sir, this just says I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, no, that Venezuela. I was I was thinking about the UN episode, uh, but yeah, that that was for Venezuela. Yeah, that and that oh, was early. Yeah, that was it. I knew it was one. I couldn't remember what country it was, but yeah. Yeah, well, and Ron Swanson hated them because they came from a social, socialist Venezuela, <laughs> but then they gave him the job with his gold gun, and he was all happy. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's all. That's all he takes to Rod Swanson's socialism bed. Here's a gun. Okay, cool. You're good with me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, 
Packers, right? If, if somebody's like, I'm a Patriots fan, and I'm like, ugh. And then they say, well, listen, uh, pizza on me. Okay, cool. We're good now. <laughs> <laughs> I still take it. I take it. I have to. I, I like your style, Chris. You go for shows with heart because you know what? Seinfeld, we split up the brackets between um, like cynical comedies and not cynical comedies. And yeah. I and it's it looks and I would say that Parks and Rec is probably going to take the less cynical, whereas Seinfeld will take the cynical. And for me, I think that that it, it's going to be close with The Office. Now I'm not; I've never seen The Office. I've watched the first season. I just have. Oh, the, the first season is terrible. What's that? The first season is terrible. That's what I've heard, and I got in a yeah. bit into the second. The but I, I, I never finished it. I yeah. love the original, the British version with Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant, but I've never seen the the American version. Yeah, that's how I am. Yeah, yeah I just couldn't get into it. So, are you an Office fan, Chris? Yeah, I do like The Office a lot. Uh, I, I, I like uh, Parks and Rec more. I like I like Brooklyn Nine Nine more than The Office too. Uh, but the first season of The Office is terrible. It gets really good after that. It's it's similar to Parks and Rec in that way. Right. I always yep. tell people with Parks and Rec, just skip the first season at this point. Um, but because it takes them a little while to figure the characters out. Um, but you're you're right about the heart thing. It's something I noticed. I noticed it really with The Good Place because I love that show so much. And it's it's a lot of it is just because of the heart in that show. And it's weird because I am an extremely cynical person, but I am draw and I, I appreciate the cynical shows too, but the shows with the heart I draw me in a lot. And like uh, even a show uh, not a comedy, but a show like Friday Night Lights, like oh. a big part a big oh. part of what drew me into that show is just the heart of that show. Yeah. so, that well, is a way to just reel me right in. Well, Chris, it was a full heart, also clear eyes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. True. Can't lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. I love that show. I yeah. could have done without that weird season with the serial killer. Season and all two. That, but everything yeah. else. Was good. <laughs> the, sec- the second season that they didn't even end, they just they just said, nope, okay, writer strike, perfect. All right, we're just going to pretend this didn't happen. Yeah, Friday Night Lights, <laughs> you got to give it a break because not only it had – it's uh, started on the freaking audience network, right? Or, yeah. it, it, or No, it started on NBC, then it went to audience, then it went back to NBC. It got canceled like two or three times. Part of the reason why they switched the cast is because they had to dramatically cut the budget. And right. and NBC or whoever they were on asked them to recast in a certain way. It you know you're right. It had to strike. It really had a very troubled history, and I still think it's a little because it has so much heart. And all you need to do is listen to like one speech by Coach Taylor, and you're like yeah. sold. Oh, that Kyle Chim. Yeah, um, what, um, what a, like classic role there. But I still think it's a little overrated, but I think it's because people love it and they give it a break because it had a troubled history. But look at, I mean, look at the career, Michael B. Jordan, and like, there's a lot of of careers it launched. And it really was 
a beautiful show. I mean, it was really had a lot of heart and that's, it really was all about family and community. That was a great, and that's the same with parks and rec. I guess when it comes down to it with these comedies, there are kind of, and we see that now where there are like two kinds of comedies where you have like the good place parks and rec the office, but then you have things like Seinfeld veep. Were you guys veep fans? I've never seen it, but that's another show that everybody's told me is really good. Uh, I love Veep. Veep. See that Veep is definitely a cynical show, but it it falls under the category of uh, a, another show like uh, Happy Endings, is a, where yeah. it's just rapid fire jokes. It's just one after another, and so you get me where it's just like punchline after punchline. Like Simpsons, like I felt that I yeah. felt even more that Veep was like a Simpsons like show. But that yeah, did not right. have a lot. That was a very cynical show. All right. I got to ask you guys about some of these other shows. Um, we had Chappelle's show against Arrested oh. Development. Love them both. I love them. Oh, well, I am love, love, love the Chappelle show. Arrested Development, I, I didn't never grab me like it did everybody else. I enjoyed it, but. Um, I kind of feel the same way with the Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They're both like they're good shows, and they would make me laugh. But I I didn't fall in love with them quite like most people did. How about you, Scott? I love both shows. The thing for me is Chappelle's show is weird in the sense that I sort of separate it. From- yeah, I don't know how to classify that. Yeah, yeah, because it feels more like the Carol Burnett show kind of thing, like a variety show more than anything else. And it was amazing. It was one of the funniest things that's ever been on television. But it's just weird. I don't see it as a comedy series, I guess, is sort of the way. That yeah, I, I never – if you ask me my favorite uh, sitcoms and comedy shows, I never go there just because I, I – it's basically just – I don't list stand-ups either, uh, you know, and, I, and mm-hmm. it's kind of just a different offshoot of that, as great as it was. I never think to place it there because I don't know how to classify it, but it's it's up there as far as funniest half hours of television that I've ever seen consistently. Oh, definitely. Chappelle, I mean, yeah, this was a tough one. I think that Arrested Development just kind of like murdered its own legacy by continuing on and on. Like, I don't know, they're doing they're supposed to do another season of arrested yeah. development on Netflix. And I just think it should have ended when it ended and I would have had a better idea because it just got jumbled in my mind because some of it was so bad. The the later seasons Chappelle yeah. show is an interesting case. You're right. I mean, it's cause it's comedy, but it's also such biting satire and yeah. Chappelle is kind of like George Carlin where sometimes you can't even laugh. You're like, yeah. holy shit, he just really well, the, said it right, you know? Yeah, and the thing is, it's not really a traditional comedy show. Like I said, it felt always felt more to me like the Carol Burnett show or something like that, where it was a comedy variety show. Yeah. So it's hard for me to compare it to a series like Arrested Development, which, by the way, I'm with you. I It's funny, because when Netflix announced that they were bringing it back. I got super excited because I love the show and Hey, this is great. But then this happens a lot, Axel, with shows that come back 
you want it to come back because you miss it. But then when it does, you're like, it's not the same show that I loved so much. And now I really kind of wish it didn't come back. And that's sort of how I felt with it. Cause that's another show that was a smart comedy, a lot of really clever writing, so many funny bits, recurring, recurring bits and, and catchphrases. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've joked about writing the blah, 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 law blog or, <laughs> you know, and, or you know, never nudes, who? never nudes, and, and, <laughs> yeah, right. Forget me nows. That's another one. I mean, there's so many. There was so great many great ones. Yep. that popped up. Or uh, Mr. F. That was, you know, obviously another one that was hilarious with uh, Charlize Theron. So there were. There's just a lot of great stuff where I, I. Oh no, I've made a huge mistake. There's so many great things on that show, and I loved it. But like you said, when they try to bring it back, it just. It fell flat. And I think a lot of it is because, like you were talking about with Friday Night Lights, with the budget, that was a big hindrance with the rest of the development when they came back because Netflix didn't have the same budget that a big network would. So only certain characters could be in certain episodes and they had to be like really clever about the way that they put them together. Yeah, and it just yeah, a lot of scheduling work. problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That, so yeah, you have to kind of, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Now we had a couple other variety shows, uh, flight of the concords and kids in the hall. Are you guys fans of either of those? Of them both. Nice. I, I, I enjoyed kids in the hall a lot when it was out, uh, flight of the concords was hit or miss for me. So there, I, I loved some of their stuff and some of it I didn't uh, quite as much. I did see them at, um, at a comedy festival uh, once that it was Chappelle was actually there as well. Um, and, wow. and they were great there, the, but the show was a little hit or miss for me, but they, they're definitely funny, dude. Yeah. I Murray. <laughs> that was always the thing that me up every single time. I was a huge kids in the hall fan for me. I mean, I would probably put kids in the hall. I, I know it's hard because SNL has such a long, but if I had to watch like any one episode, I just think kids in the hall was so crazy funny to me that and so weird. It just hit exactly my type of humor and um, flight of the Concords was a little hit or miss for me. I would agree on that. I, I loved some of it and some of the songs and situations. Um, and especially cause it was mostly spoofing like hipsters in Brooklyn that yeah. kind of got like old for me after a little bit, since I like hung out in Brooklyn and around the area at the time. And I had enough hipsters already. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> I, I've seen it in real life. It's not that funny. No, it is not. It's kind of funny with Kids in the Hall because I've always felt that Kids in the Hall was sort of, in a way, it felt less like SNL and more like SCTV to Oh, me. definitely. And yeah, well, that's its roots. I, yeah. Yeah, and I was a huge SCTV fan. And you talked about some of these shows producing stars. I mean, look at how many big-time stars came out of SCTV when you look back at it. You had... Dave Thomas obviously went on to do some stuff. He was on Grace Under Fire for a long time. Rick Moranis. You had uh, John Candy's the obvious one. Mayor Shanks was still one of my alt. And Magnum PEI was another great sketch on that show. 
and Eugene Levy. You could go on oh, and on. No. Catherine O'Hara. So many of these people went on to just very successful careers. Yeah, that's and that's the foundation for. You know, that's what I worry about when I see like, yeah, but you shouldn't because life is, I'm just getting old. But I, you know, you worry when you see, when you think about like SCTV, you think about Seinfeld, like the old Borscht Belt humor, and then you go on YouTube and it's people like baking pancakes with like Clorox in them as a joke or something. You know what I mean? Like you just <laughs> worry that the classic foundational comedy it kind of like goes away in the face of just idiocy. But um, those people you described, you're absolutely right, Scott, that I, I uh, there's a great book that actually Mike Myers brother wrote about the kids in the hall that I listened to the audio book when this whole uh, COVID just began. And it's a great book. I can't remember the name of it. It's out there. It's probably the only book that's all about them. And it went through their whole, um, their whole thing and their whole career. It was fantastic. And look at the flight of the Concords guide. So they've went on to do so, yeah. what we do in the shadows and all types of great stuff. You know, um, I mean, look at uh, Taiki Watiti is the huge director now, you know, like he was involved with them too. So it's, it's kind of cool when these shows spawn, all this other creativity. And then you go back to the source and you're kind of like, Holy cow, they were in that too. You know, it really, it, By the, way, the book you were talking about is called one dumb guy. One dumb guy. Yeah. Kids in the hall. One dumb guy by Paul Myers. Okay. There you go. Paul Myers. Yeah. Mike Myers brother. I thought that was, yeah, cool. I, I got to check this out. I didn't know this book existed. I have the, uh, history of SCTV that Dave Thomas wrote years ago, uh, somewhere laying around, but I didn't even know about this book on the kids in the hall. So I got to get this, uh, that that was a stellar recommendation. Actually. Oh, good. I'm yeah, it is fan. I see. I didn't even know the name of it. Cause I was always just turn. you know, sometimes it's funny when you do audio books instead of the book, you know, you remember different mm -hmm. parts of it, but I could recognize his voice. Cause I think he narrates it too. And it's cool that you get that whole feeling and they talk a lot about like the Canada versus America and, and they, and Mike Myers was actually almost a part of the kids in the hall. Imagine yeah. that, that would have been interesting. Um, man, you wonder if some of the early stuff, like if he would have debuted, uh, the Austin powers or something as a sketch <laughs> on kids. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, but you can also see how he had that weirdness, but they took it over the top, you know, mm -hmm. like he was just not even as weird as they were. Um, well, our, you know what, guys, we could, I, th I feel like we could go on talking for days, but I got to wrap it up. We've been going a little bit over an hour. I don't want to take up your whole nights. I appreciate you being on here with me today. Is there anything else you want to chat about before we go? I'll let you, uh, I'll let you go first, Scott. I've been rewatching law and order, the original law and order and homicide a lot lately and actually 21 jump street too. I just want to throw these out there. I don't know what it is. They're all very different, but similar because they involve police, I guess. But a couple of things real quick. I just want to throw out there. If anybody had any doubt how good Johnny Depp is as an actor, 
even when he was on 21 Jump Street. If you go and watch the episode, I think it was season three, Swallowed Alive. I don't know if you guys ever watched 21 Jump Street, but yeah. on this particular episode, uh, Johnny Depp and uh, uh, Penn Hall, uh, Del, uh, Peter DeLuise's character, and the uh, uh, Booker and um, uh, forget who the other guy was, they were all sent inside undercover to find out who killed somebody in a juvenile hall. So they finally get to see what happens to these kids that they've been busting at the schools and Johnny Depp's performance as he starts to mentally break is just absolutely phenomenal. So if anybody hasn't seen that, it was uh, recommend that if you want to check out, I always love 21 jump street partially because I had a huge crush and still do on Holly Robinson, Pete. So, uh, and she sang the theme song. So uh, I've been watching some of that. And then law and order and homicide homicide is interesting because we talked about the wire before, guys, but David yeah. Simon's real first show was Thomas. Even though he didn't it's write a great book show. too. That ho- yeah, that's it. Exactly. When he wrote that as a reporter. Yes, and by the way, since you talked about audiobooks, the audiobook for that is narrated by Reed Diamond, who played Mike Kellerman on Homicide. So that's kind of interesting cool. too. But I've always felt that that was one of the best pure police shows and i think that it's hilarious that andre brower who played frank pembleton would later go on to have his other major role that people would know him for be a cop but a totally different kind of cop with uh you know on brooklyn 99 so that that cracks me up with raymond holt because raymond holt (laughs) is so much different from frank from frank pembleton in a million different ways but there are a lot of great episodes in the early going of Homicide. I know Robin Williams won an Emmy for a guest spot that he did playing a guy whose wife is killed in, uh, when they're on vacation in Baltimore. Uh, Melissa Leo. Oh, my God, man. You forget how gifted an actress she really is sometimes. But she was incredible as Kay Howard on that show. Uh, but but uh, Andre Brower alone is worth watching. It's funny because he won the Emmy in season six and I thought it was his weakest season, but it was almost like one of those deals where they should have given it to him every year before. So this was like the makeup award, I guess that's common. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the one episode that, that I always remember is the early one. It was, I think in the first five episodes called three men in Adina and the entire episode is basically and, and, and the case kind of lingers over the show the rest of the way, so it's important. But there's a, a little girl named Adina Watson who gets killed, and Bayless and Pembleton, and Bayless is Kyle Secor's character, they apparently have 24 hours to basically break this guy in the interrogation room, or they're never going to get another crack at him. And just watching Andre Brower in the interrogation room for the entire 45 minutes once you cut out the commercials was incredible. And I still have no idea how he didn't win an Emmy. And then Law and Order, I just want to say real quick, Axel, we could do an entire show, and maybe we will if you want to at some point, on the different combinations of actors and actresses that were on this show because the cast turned over so much, especially in the early going. For a show that was on for such a long time, there were so many different combinations. But what I noticed was a couple of things. First of all, Chris Noth was leaps and bounds better than Benjamin Bratt and Jesse Martin. And then, and I like Jesse Martin, though. I liked him much better than Ben Bratt. And 
Uh, I loved uh, Jerry Orbach like everybody else, but I did really like the brief stints for Paul, Paul Sorbino and, um, and George Zunza. I thought both of them were really good. Michael Moriarty, I had to throw this out there. Everybody talks about Sam Waterston because he was on the show for the majority of the run, I think 16 years. But you watch the episode with Moriarty as Ben Stone, and then you watch Waterston as Jack McCoy, and I just I don't think there's any comparison. I think Moriarty was so much better. They used to say that he was the soul of or the conscience of the show, and he really was awesome. And then, man, I'll tell you, <laughs> I enjoyed Fred Thompson when he came in as the DA, but still nobody was better than Stephen Hill as Adam Schiff. He was just so good. And the early stories were great. We were talking about this before we started recording. I loved how they went into the deep reservoir of, you know, rip from the headlines. And they really were the first show to do that. That's what was interesting that the, the, the first show to really capture the, the prosecutor police dynamic but also they were the first show to consistently base episodes on a true story on a weekly basis. Yeah. And in the early going, it was great because they were going back in history and finding some really different cases. But then as time wore on, they sort of started to recycle ideas. And then it would became one of those things where something would happen. And then the next week was ripped from the headlines, this thing that just happened last week and it became boring and predictable. But the early going had some great writing, some terrific um, acting, and the storylines were were really interesting. And the and the early ensemble was really good. Richard Brooks, I think, is super underrated as Paul Robinette, and I loved when he would come back. I think he made like six guest appearances coming back later on as a defense attorney, and I I thought he was uh, he was great. Um, so, yeah, I just if anybody hasn't watched the early seasons of Law and Order, like the first, I don't know, I'd say like six or seven seasons, I guess. Well worth it. It's not really your typical police procedural, I don't think, because it's half police and half prosecutor. And also, it, it really was interesting the way that they would take all these historical crimes, I guess, cases and sort of put a new twist on it. So anyway, I probably talked a little longer than you were anticipating, Axel. Oh. Apologies for that. But those were the things that were kind of on my mind because that's what I've been watching a lot of lately. I think you birthed another podcast because, you know, my man Heath Snolo, Heath Solo, uh, who is uh, my partner here in DVR Podcast Network, is a huge Law & Order fan and has seen every single episode of every lawn SUV SWA, whatever it is he's seen that. And I think it would be great to have you come back and have him come on too. And I just kind of sit back and let you guys talk about law and order. Cause Heath is always trying to talk about it with me. And though I've probably seen hundreds of episodes of law and order and I, and as you're talking, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I like what you said about Moriarty because I think that that's the way you pronounce his name, right? Like the Sherlock Holmes mm -hmm. guy. Um, yep. He I he had that subtleness. He was such an internal actor. Yes. Uh, that I always was captivated by him, and I was like, because he was in a couple of films in the '70s, and he settled mm -hmm. into Law and Order. And I think he, he, didn't he die suddenly or something? Or is he still around? 
No, he's still he's still alive. You know, you know, it's kind of interesting about him, by the way, like his acting style. I noticed the same exact thing, because when you were saying that I was nodding, nodding my head. This is an audio show, so people can't see it. But it's kind of funny because um, Moriarty did. I think he used to write like uh, columns or whatever it is he did, but he would answer questions periodically from fans. I remember one time he wrote a whole thing about him playing Ben Stone and he said at first it used to bother him because people come up to him and they would say a line or they would say I loved you in Law and Order and he's like hey I've done a million things like but then he said he realized that when somebody would come up to him and say sir like you know the the character Ben Stone used to call everybody sir and depending on who he was talking to sir could either be a term of derision or a term of respect and he said over time he realized that it was people were the fact that all these years later because he was gone from the show after season four that all these years later people still loved his performance as stone enough to come up to him on the street and tell him how much they loved it and how much they you know missed this character or what they thought of it and how they'll always Anytime they watch a show, they'll always in their head Ben Stone and, and Moriarty's performance with it. That he grew to just really love it, and and he began to really enjoy talking to people about it because, I guess, if you're an actor, it's weird for you to be thought of as just one guy. I mean, there's that famous yeah. story with Ed O'Neill where he was screen testing for something. And they couldn't give him the role because everybody was laughing because here's Al Bundy trying to play some serious role or whatever it was. And obviously he did a good job reinventing himself many years later with Modern Family. But I guess in a way, like if you're an actor, you should really take that as the greatest respect that somebody could pay you that that many years later, people still love you and still remember you so fondly for your performance and i guess it took moriarty a long time to realize that but i thought that was interesting yeah i know i can hear heath who is an actor uh saying if he's listening now like hey it's good to get recognized (laughs) you know what i mean like it's a good problem (laughs) to have because there's a lot of actors who you know you work your whole life and you barely get noticed so that but i i like uh, man the way you talked about law and order we got to have you on to talk with heath about it so how about you chris any final thoughts from you brother you know i just uh, i'll just end with this because you brought up something maxwell earlier where you were uh drew a parallel between the uh final season of the wire and final season of game of thrones and i thought that was kind of interesting um and then we got distracted with other stuff so i need to get back to it but because uh, uh, people complain about the final season of The Wire, too, in similar ways. And obviously, the Jimmy McNulty storyline there was terrible. But so much of the rest of that season, there was so much redeeming, especially the last couple episodes. I thought David Simon and the writers, they tied the series up in a knot perfectly. But the actual last couple episodes were perfect. Um, but then you get with Game of Thrones, and we were talking a little bit about this before. I enjoyed a lot of up until right to the very end. And then I, I didn't love it, but the, the reaction that people had where it was like this ruined the whole series to me and uh, lost is another show where people had this reaction. And I just don't get that because both those shows were so good for so long. It didn't end perfectly for you. Fine. I can understand that. But 
how you're going to have that taint uh, the entire series of these shows just seems a little crazy to me. Because um, I can go back and watch those first uh, six seasons of Game of Thrones and and love every second of it as much. Um, and uh, I still go back every couple of years and rewatch Wire, The Wire again. And I still go back and watch Lost again. And like, yeah, the last season, the sideways flash stuff, like I could have done with all that. But all the island stuff I thought was really good, how they wrapped that up. Um, so I, it's just always funny to me how people get at the end of a series, if it doesn't end exactly how they want it to, it somehow like ruins everything before it. And it's just, you're doing yourself a disservice when you do, when you approach things that way. Um, so it's always funny to me when, when people do that, but I did think it was interesting. You brought up, uh, the wiring connection. Cause I, cause that's something, not something I ever thought about, but I, I can see a little bit how that works now. Yeah, that makes me think of what I was saying about Arrested Development. Those those last seasons don't ruin the series for me, you know? I think that in a sense you can look at it and even with Game of Thrones, The Wire, I don't know, I never really had it's harder for me to see the problems with the last season of The Wire. I actually kind of like the serial killer McNulty stuff. (laughs) I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it took it. I thought it was in a sense, an extension on the whole Amsterdam thing and just flipping things and really kind of just going far out because I think Simon in all of his work, he's had so much experience with the criminal justice system and with how politics works and different and just systems in general that he always wants to kind of communicate like, look, there's a different way to do things. You have to open your mind to a different way. So I didn't have as much of a problem. Um, But yeah, Game of Thrones, it didn't ruin it for me. And people got upset and even arrested development. Hey, look, I didn't like the uh, last couple seasons. I can't even remember because it kind of get, like I said, it gets jumbled, but that in no way takes away from me the, I would always say to someone, watch Arrested Development. That show is amazing. And, and the heart and the, you know, I just think of, I mean, Jason Bateman, who would have thought Jason Bateman, you know what I mean? Like today we're watching him on uh, Ozark and he's a director and he's on movies. But you remember there was yeah. like a 20 year period where everybody was like, who the fuck's Jason Bateman? Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden he comes back. It was just amazing stuff. All right. Well, we could keep on talking. I'm going to end it here. You guys have been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on. And this turned out even better than I thought it could have. This is just so fun. Uh, I really appreciate the time and the effort. I love your show. Scott, why don't you uh, tell us again, or actually, I don't know in the beginning if we did it, where we can find you and listen to you and all that kind of stuff. So you can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one. The podcast is called play like a jet and you can download it on iTunes or really anywhere that you get your podcasts. You can get it at turn on the too. And it's basically a daily jets podcast, but we do different stuff each day. So Manish Mehta from the New York daily news joins the show on Wednesdays to do the news And usually there's something going on right now. There's not a lot of news. So we've been working through Manish's top 20 list that he's been posting in the daily news. 
Michael Nania comes on to go through the stats. Joe Blewett comes on a lot to talk about film. And then we've been doing a lot of the 2020 off-season reviews. So a lot of people have been coming on, different voices. Brian Bassett, who hosts There's Always Next Year on the Play Like a Jet feed during the season. He's also the founder of the Jets blog. He came on to talk about what he thought about what the Jets did. Uh, Dennis Wazak from the Associated Press has been on recently to talk about that. Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report, a bunch of other people. And then obviously on the weekends, as you talked about before, Chris and I do mailbag questions. And it's fun because we talk about the Jets, but we also talk about a lot of other things. And essentially, when it's football season, the questions are almost going to be all football. But when it's the off season, especially in the summer right now before training camp, there's going to be other questions. So we open it up. The only thing that we say is no politics, no religion. We're not getting into that. But pretty much anything else you can ask. We, we like to have fun. So if people want to ask questions, we've gotten into a lot of pizza debates. We talk a lot about food and pizza specifically because of the New York, New Jersey thing. We talk a lot about movies and TV. People ask questions about that, like what we've been talking about with you. And really general football, sports stuff. People ask me pro wrestling questions that Chris doesn't want to touch because he he doesn't watch pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll ask it. I'll be like, okay, I guess this question's for me. Or then sometimes I'll ask Chris a question about a TV show I haven't seen or something, and he'll answer without me. But it's fun because it's a good way for us to, to have a discussion with the people that enjoy what we do. And like, like I said, we like to have fun with it. So anybody that wants to jump in on the mailbag, you can hit us up on Twitter, but we're a daily show. Like you said, Axel, no rest for the wicked. Uh, haven't missed an episode of the show in like two years since we started doing it daily. It might've been more than that. And it's seven days a week. So if you like football, if you like the Jets, or if you like hearing about pizza and television shows and stuff like that on the weekends, you can check us out. Awesome. All right, Chris, you're up. Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at CNimbly and also at Jets Insider, my website where I cover the Jets, uh, JetsInsider.com. Um, I haven't been on Twitter too much recently. Uh, and we will see what ends up happening over these next couple of weeks and you know, with the pandemic and with football. And if we get football back, because I'll have a bunch of football content if we do. And if we don't have some type of season, I might have to be uh, trying to make a pivot for, for a year or so to do some type of TV, other stuff, because that's the only thing that's going to get my interest to get me as excited um, to talk about as, as football. So. I definitely appreciate you having me on because uh, I do love me some TV. Uh, I, I could talk about it for hours. So, well, we have all we have done it. We've talked about it for almost two hours, and it was awesome. So, you guys both have a standing invitation anytime. Come on the show. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Everybody listening, of course, you can check us out at dvrpodcast.com and you check the show notes and I'll put all the information so you can follow and find all of Chris and Scott's amazing output. Thanks everyone for listening. Peace out.